Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. As a church, we've been walking through the life of David. And as we enter now back into that, we find David on the run from Saul. And really, from chapter 22 on, we're going to see several chapters here now where David is actively fleeing. But there's one difference in in David's heart. David is not wrecked with fear like we saw in chapter 21 where he was wrecked with fear. He went to the priest of the Lord. He lied to him. He took Goliath's sword, and because he was, he was wrecked with fear, he was not perceiving reality correctly. He was not trusting the Lord. He walks right into Gath, right in, as he's fleeing from Saul, he's walking right into the gates of the Philistines and with Goliath's sword, okay, the guy that he just killed, the, the champion that he just killed. Not a smart decision. And God deals with him, and God works in him as we saw in the Psalms. His heart turns back to God. And during that time where, where he acts like a madman before the king, the, the, the king there, he, he says in, in, in Psalm 34, What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. And that was written right around that time as his heart is now turned back to God. So we're going to see now from now on here uh, as he's running, his trust is in the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 22, David therefore departed thence, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And David escapes to this cave. If you look on the screen here, I've got a map. I'm trying to uh, just be able to give you a little bit of a visual. Uh, To the left of the screen is that green, lush area of the Philistines. And you'll see the the town of Gath there where he's fleeing from. And then the red uh, dot right in the middle of the screen there is where Adullam is, the cave of Adullam. And here, in this moment, is where God is going to start maturing David. His will is going to be accomplished in David's life to mature him into a leader. Have you ever wanted to be a leader? Not just be a follower, but be matured as a leader? God wants to do that in each one of our lives as we grow in our trust towards Him. But maturity is stopped when disobedience happens in our life towards God, as we'll see as we've seen in Saul's life already, and even in David's life in the last chapter. There are consequences for our disobedience, and because of it, God works his will in spite of us, instead of working his will through us like he wants to. So God's will, as we'll see here tonight, is accomplished when we walk with him as David did, and is accomplished in spite of man's wickedness, as we'll see in Saul's life. Let's pray. Father, I do pray tonight, just as you... Uh, work in our hearts about being uh, uh, vessels that can be molded by you, Lord, into leaders. Lord, would you uh, take the life of David, and Lord, would you help us to look to you for for, uh, divine direction, Lord, as far as what you want to do and accomplish in each one of our lives. Lord, would you mature each one of us and help our hearts to turn towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, as, as David now is leaving this, this mountainous country of the Philistines, the Holy Spirit takes the first part of this chapter in chapter 22, and he focuses solely on God's will being accomplished in David's life. Let's look at verse 1 again. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, 
and he became ca a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And so here we see firstly that God is working in David's life to mature him as a leader. About 400 men gather themselves to David. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to pick out 400 men, it would not be the men that are listed. The ones in distress, those in debt, and those that are discontented. God is taking these people and bringing them to David, not so David can get frustrated at them. Not so David can, can start saying, God, why did you give me these people? God, why did you give me these people to lead? God is working in David's life, bringing these people to him to mature him as a leader and so that he can turn these people into warriors uh, for the Lord. And God's maturing work is often done that way in our lives. Have you ever thought to someone uh, or thought about someone, why did God put this person in my life? Or why did God give me them as a, as, you know, a, a co-worker or a friend? And God says, I'm doing this to mature you and to make you pliable to my hand and to the master's touch. Uh, a negative biblical illustration, even in his old age, Moses had a group of several, uh, uh, you know, close to a million Israelites that, that were following him. And he, 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 uh, when he didn't obey God and got angry, he missed out on God's maturing work. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, Moses in that time was older. And when, when, if you're older here tonight, and God's maturing work is not done in your life. God wants to continue to mature you, and he's going to continue to put people in your life so that you won't miss out on his maturing work in your life. As, as uh, Moses missed out on God's maturing work, and he, he ended up not being able to see the promised land because of it. So the next time we get frustrated, we should ask the Lord, not, why did you put this person in my life, but rather, God, how are you wanting to mold my life in this instance? How are you wanting to work on me, to mature me as a leader like David? God's working and maturing you to show you your weaknesses, to show you, even as we've seen on Sunday nights in the book of Psalms, your secret faults, those things that you don't even know about that God wants to expose in your life, to get rid of, to cut out, so that you can better be used as a leader, and not just a leader, but a leader that trains leaders, one that's going to commit to faithful men so that they can be able to teach others also. Look at verse 3 now. David takes his parents away for safety. And David went thence to Mitzvah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and, mother, and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab and dwelt with them, uh, with him all the while that David was in the hold. I don't know why he brought them to Moab. I don't know if it's because David had some ancestors there that we know of in the Bible, Ruth. I don't know. But what's interesting about this is we never hear about David's parents again. So God is, God is bringing them to safety but but as far as David, this may be the last time that he actually sees his parents. And then God does something else to, to mature David. He sends his prophet to speak to David. Look at verse 5. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee out uh, the, into the land of Judah, 
Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth, which is that part of Judah. Gad comes to David and he says, you're safe here, yes, but this isn't where God wants you. You're supposed to be moving in the direction of being king. You're the anointed one. You need to get out and go back, go back towards your homeland, and you need to trust that God is going to protect you. You need to trust that God's will is going to be done. And to him, it seemed like this was totally backwards. What he was being told by the prophet of the Lord is to go back in the direction where these guys are hunting you from. And he makes the choice to do it because his trust is in the Lord once again. He's not afraid of the face of man. He's not afraid what man can do unto the body. That's Psalm chapter 34 again. And his trust is in the Lord. He shows the prophet that his trust is in God once again. As the narrative then continues, it switches from God's will being accomplished in David to mature him as a leader, and now it switches to God's will being accomplished in Saul, or should I say in spite of Saul. Verse 6, when Saul heard that David was discovered and that the men that were with him now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in, in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. If you can just picture this scene where Saul is, is sitting there. He's got all of his men around him to, to, to meet his needs. But now we're going to see Saul is going to start receiving some of the promises of God that, that his kingdom would be taken away from him. Verse 7, Then Saul said unto his servant that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give, you every, give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that, are, that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Saul, Saul sees that, uh, hears that, that David is near. He speaks to his servants, sucking his thumb, so to speak. He's, he's saying, none of you guys feel sorry for me. None of you are concerned about what's going on in my life. Uh, but, but David was not doing what Saul thought he was doing. He, none of these men had stirred up Jonathan uh, to, to talk to David, and David was not lying in wait for Saul. Remember, Saul is against David, he has devoted every single day of his life now with this ungodly obsession of, of killing God's anointed. And, and here uh, he's wasting the rest of his life because of it, because he's not walking with God. Saul's son, obviously we've seen this in previous chapter, verse 8, uh, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. I'm not going to spend much time on this because we've seen it in previous chapters, but his son is not loyal to him because he's seen the actions of his father and he's seen that his father is not just now not in agreement with God's consequences in his life, but has gone to, to, to great lengths now to try to actually prevent God's hand from doing it on him. And I'm telling you, if you're fighting God, if you know God's will is working in your life a certain way, and you try to prevent it or you try to run, that is, that, is not, that is not God's will for you. You're going to hurt because of it. 
Saul's servants then come come to come to come to grips with with all of this as well, and they start fearing God more than fearing the king's word, which is a good thing for them. Verse nine, we find a familiar name from last chapter. Then answered Doeg the Edomite. Remember, he was in the temple there that day when uh, David came to get the sword and the bread. Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, he did not inquire of the Lord for him. He gave him bread, and he gave him uh, the, the sword, but he did not go to the Lord for him. Verse 11, Then the king said to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me? Thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. And Ahimelech has not gone to the Lord for David. And here Saul, because he is fighting God, because he is absolutely against what God wants to do, has a victim mentality. They're out to get me. They're out to hunt me. He's lying in wait for me. And I believe Saul really believed that. Saul, so when, when you're not following the Lord, it is easy to fall prey to that mentality. Man, they, man my youth pastor is just mad at me. Or, or you know, they, they, don't, they don't like that. You know, they're, they're out to get me. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked, flee, the, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. God doesn't want us to live in fear and be as the wicked that, that flee when nobody pursues. Saul is fleeing and he's not taking responsibility for the disobedience he had towards the Lord. And because of it, uh, the, this te- the, the kingdom is going to be taken away from him and he's constantly looking over his shoulder now. Look at Ahimelech's answer though in verse 14. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? Amazing. Ahimelech got what... Saul could never get. The fact that David was the most faithful, the most wise amongst all of Saul's servants, and, 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 da- and Saul is blinded by it, which is the king's son-in-law. He's, he's your blood. You, you married your daughter to him, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house. When you choose to walk in rebellion and do not have the power of God on your life, if you, if you choose disobedience and allow God's hand to be taken off your life as it was for Samson, you don't perceive reality correctly. You don't understand that this is what, what he's about to do and what he's doing is, is wrong to the, to the priest. Verse 15, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my, of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, 
because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled, and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. They were afraid. There's no way I'm touching a priest. Have you heard any of the other stories that happened when someone touched a priest or touched, touched the, the ark of the Lord? I mean, they were struck dead immediately. And these, these men are now very unloyal. And, and Saul, right before his eyes, is losing his kingdom because of his, his obsession, his ungodly obsession to, to hunt God's anointed and kill everyone else that's, that's with him now too. Saul is losing the loyalty of his people, and this is God's will being accomplished in his life, unfortunately for the negative. But thirdly, God is using this disobedience to accomplish his will in the priestly line of Eli. Look at verse 16 again. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Go down to verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou, and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon all the priests, upon the priests, and slew that day four score and five persons, eighty-five priests that did wear the linen ephod. Slew them all. Beyond that, verse 19, And Nob, the city of priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep, with the edge of the sword. Absolutely, absolute wickedness is done by the hand, uh, by the command of, of Saul and by the hand of Doeg that day. This wickedness that did not have to happen through, through the life of Saul. And yet God is still using it to accomplish his will. You say, how is that? God uses the wickedness of Saul and Doeg to accomplish the judgment that he promised earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. Go back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. We know that chapter very well because that's the chapter where God starts to speak to Samuel. And Samuel learns how to cultivate a heart that is able to hear God. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10 the Lord, the Lord comes to Samuel again. It says, And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day will I, I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vials, and he restrained them not, uh, vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. God prophesied this judgment against Eli and let me tell you when God promises something he keeps it both positive and negative and God accomplishes it he did not have to accomplish it through the life of Saul and Doeg God did not make Saul and Doeg do what they did but he's he's providential enough to be able to use that and 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 finish out the judgment that he promised had they not done that God had Saul and Doeg chosen to serve the Lord 
and, and not do that, God would have found another way to judge that line and remove them from the line of Israel. But that's not what happens. God ends up uh, judging this line and, uh, and using Saul and Doeg to do it. At the end of it all, though, we see God's mercy again. Go back to chapter 22. We see at the end of this chapter again God's mercy. God's not going to completely destroy that line of priests just yet. He spares one man named Abathar, who was a man who would be used of God to go to God for David. And we see uh, God's mercy in verse 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, came, uh, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar shewed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. It happened on the hands of David too. David's wickedness when he wasn't trusting in the Lord, when he was fearful and he allowed really the chokehold of fear to take him and, and cause him to do things that he would have never done, lie to the Lord's priests. And so he's feeling the blame of this as well. Of all the persons of, of thy father's house, verse 23, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. I don't want to get ahead of myself fully here tonight, but God did not forgo the punishment on, on Eli's line. Abathar would be used to be a mouthpiece for God in the life of David through all of David's reign. And then it's a very different story when we get to the life of Solomon. Solomon, the, the rightful king, uh, Abathar works with several other people to try to unseat him and to put someone else in his place. And that is where God's judgment is carried out in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. Solomon is speaking here. He says, And unto Abathar the priest said the king, Get thee to Anoth and to thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because thou hast been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. In Shiloh, not Shiloh. Not Shiloh. That would be neat. But no, I'm sorry, this is not a biblical, this is not a biblical city. But he, he, we find that God, again, keeps his promises, but in doing so, he has mercy. And he wants to be merciful to anyone who will be a mouthpiece for him. And God doesn't, doesn't end up killing Abathar, but he does end up using Saul to wipe out that priestly line and put actually a new line in place before even a priestly line in place before David even becomes king. Unfortunately for Saul, God's working in spite of him because he thinks God is still on his side, as we're going to see in the next chapter next week. He thinks God is still working for him. He's, he's, he's warped in his thinking because of his disobedience towards God. As we close tonight, I want us to look at some psalms that David penned during this time of his life. Go to the book of Psalms in chapter 51, and let's see just what God is working in David about. Let's see what, how David expresses 
how God is maturing him as a leader. For Psalm 57, it says, if you have the titles at the top of your psalms, it says, To the chief musician, uh, musician Altasheth, Mitchum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, we don't know what cave this is, but this is very much in this time of life between as he's going from Adullam all the way to En Gedi near the Dead Sea. And during these times, he's hiding in caves. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Verse 7, my heart is fixed. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. His heart is fixed on God, fixed on the, on the object of his trust. Verse 10, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above the, all, all the earth. Then go over to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. And this is a prayer when he was in the cave. And again, we don't know exactly which cave this is. Verse 1 reads, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. This is really a psalm of, of, of deliverance and crying out to the Lord a prayer. Verse 3 of Psalm 142, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. God's will will be accomplished in your life as, as you stay pliable to his touch. Even when you're overwhelmed, he knows your path. He knows exactly where you need to go. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. Verse 7, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. What does that tell you about David? It tells you a few things. It tells you that he, his trust was still in the Lord during all this time of running from Saul. It tells you that he was confident that God's will would be accomplished in his life. And it shows you his confidence that the Lord would not just do him a little good. It's that the Lord would deal bountifully with him, that the Lord would bless him, that the Lord would keep him. As we go to prayer tonight, I want us to dwell on the fact that God is a gracious God. He's full of mercy, even for people like Saul who are, who are doing wickedness. God will still use their wickedness to accomplish his will. He, wants to, he, he want, doesn't want to work in spite of you, but he may have to if you choose disobedience towards him and towards his leading in your life. God wants us to come alongside him as we're going to tonight. We get the privilege when we go into prayer with the Lord to partner alongside God, the Almighty God, the King of Kings. And tonight as we partner with him in prayer, the Bible says that we can pull down strongholds. That, that would otherwise not be taken down. And God wants to break those down tonight, even as we pray together.